questions? desire to look at people. So is that okay? Green. <laughs> 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 um, so I didn't I didn't at the very beginning of the retreat explicitly say anything about, you know, don't look at each other, etc. Um I would say, notice the mind that wants to look at people. <laughs> if you happen to be looking at people, notice what that's like. Um, it's just another phenomenon of mind to observe. And you could play with too. I mean, you don't have to not look at people. You don't have to hold yourself back from that. Um, the holding yourself back from it actually gives you the possibility of seeing the desire. If you don't even think about containing that energy, you're just going to look and not even notice that there was wanting in the mind. So you're at least seeing the desire that's underlying it. So first notice the desire. First notice that. What happens then if you observe the desire? Does the desire grow? Does it get weaker? Does it go away? Play with it. So every time we like something, that that is craving. Is that right? Because you know it's like I'm sitting here. And all of a sudden, I hear, hear the little birds or the squirrel running across the roof, and I like that sound. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to rope in one of the birds and take them home and chain them. <laughs> <laughs> walk up and down the roof. <laughs> so, um, um, this is an interesting um, area of exploration. We, we often, I mean, so I believe that somewhere, I mean, somebody else brought this up today, somewhere in one of Saito's books it says, if you like something in nature, it means there's craving in the mind. Right. Um, and um, um, we have to be careful with that kind of a, um, a statement. In holding ourselves to some kind of an ideal, that is not where we are. Um, if we think we're not supposed to like things, <laughs> we're going to tie ourselves into knots. Um, if we believe that as a good Buddhist I'm not supposed to like anything, it's not going to be very pretty. <laughs> so, you know, really the instruction is notice the enjoyment. Can you be aware of the enjoyment? There are kinds of appreciation, I'll use a different word, that do not have craving. 
in them. It is possible to appreciate, so, I mean, the quality of sympathetic joy, mudita, has an appreciative nature to the beautiful, the wholesome, the, 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 the success of others. It's, got a, it's an open-hearted appreciation for what's um, lovely. And that doesn't have craving in it. Now, the word liking to me, in my own mind, in my own experience, when I like something, it has tipped subtly into the realm of wanting. But I don't go saying to myself, oh, bad, bad, no liking, no bad. (laughs) It's just, oh, liking has arisen. Okay, let's look at that. What is the, there may be aspects of it that are wholesome, and there may be a little bit of it that's just like, just a little holding to it. It's not, like you say, it's not like you're going to chain up the squirrels and take them home with you, and, but, but there's just a little bit of, just even the tiniest bit of latching onto that experience. So just notice what the experience actually is. I think sometimes what we call liking can be in this terrain of appreciation and just have that non, non-clinging, non-craving quality to it. In fact, I think the, you know, the opening of the heart, the opening of the mind takes us into the place where we more appreciate the little things like the squirrels running on the roof. You know, it's like when I'm, when I'm busy with my life at home, I hardly hear the squirrels. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the mind settling down opens us up to that kind of appreciation. And it's pleasant. The very natural tendency when they're pleasant things is to, is to like them. To, you know, and it does go down that slippery slope. But that's just very natural. And this is nature. Liking, this is nature. Get familiar with the nature of liking. And what, what parts of it are, are wholesome. And what parts of it might be... I mean, liking is in, is in the really subtle craving realm. It's, in, it's pretty subtle, you know, because often with liking, it's just, it's just the subtlest kind of preference in a way. You know, but then there's that saying in, uh, in Zen, um, gosh, maybe Marilyn can help me with this. Um, um, that the, uh, is it that Xin Xin Ming first... The great way is easy for those who, who have, have no, no preferences. preferences. Yes, <coughs> the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Um, you know, so it's it's that that realm of not preferring there be squirrels or not. So does that? Does that? <coughs> yeah, that um, that helps because <coughs> I was out walking and um, I I uh, came upon this field of um, wild peas. And they had a very um, bright magenta color. And um, I picked three of them to put in a vase. But I could feel the greedy human uh-huh. wanting to pick more. Uh-huh. But So I didn't, but I could really... So you can notice that difference. Yeah, I yeah. could really feel that. And that's rising. what we're interested in exploring. Not to try to stop it or say, oh, not supposed to go there. Explore it. Then we learn from it. 
And we feel that the, the greed has a, you know, it's not a good quality. It's, so, I mean, it, it doesn't have an, a good feeling to it. So that we learn, we learn that that's not helpful for us. Yeah. This is kind of a follow-on to that question. I've been noticing a distinction between pleasure in the body and greed arising in the mind. And I'm hoping, you've spoken to that a little bit in your answer just now, I'm hoping you can unpack it a little bit more. Well, there's an additional piece I'll stick in there. Um, So yes, there's pleasure in the body. Um, This is the distinction in in a way around the feeling tone of experience, Mm -hmm. pleasantness being experienced in the body. So there's that pleasant quality. And then then there is um, a distinction between that and, as you point out, the the greed in the mind. That the the pleasant feeling in the body can, through a series of steps, lead to greed in the mind. (laughs) And they are very different things. They're they're different things and each step in the way is a different thing that gets us there to the greed. Um, there's another piece, though, and the the um, the Buddha talked about um, five kinds of feeling. Well, actually, he talked about two kinds of feeling, and then he talked about three kinds of feeling, and then he talked about five kinds of feeling, or eighteen <laughs> kinds of feeling, <laughs> thirty-six kinds of feeling. <laughs> I think that it went all the way up to one hundred and eight uh, kinds of feeling. <laughs> But the five kind of feeling, I like the five kind of feeling teaching because it really kind of teases out some of the critical pieces. And the five kinds of feeling are uh, dukkha and sukha, which are bodily pain and pleasant. So bodily, unpleasant and pleasant experience. Um, Then the three, so those are bodily feelings. It's interesting that he doesn't say there is a neutral bodily feeling. Just putting that out there. Um, the Abhidhamma also says that. There's not a neutral bodily feeling. Um, not something I'm going to believe. <laughs> but, you know, that's, the, that's what it says. So then the three other kinds of feeling are mental feelings. There is somanasa, Pali term somanasa, mental pleasurable feeling. Dominasa, mental unpleasurable feeling, and um, uh, I think it's just called upeka, the last one, the, the mental balance of mind. Um, so these are all in the realm of feeling, of, of vedna. And so there can also be a mental pleasurable feeling that is not greed. That is helpful, because what I was noticing was bodily pleasure, mental pleasure, and then a combination of delusion and greed, basically, where the mind gets kind of entranced by the mental pleasure. It's real easy to go there. <laughs> it makes all these excuses for why this should be prolonged or enhanced or made better. Yes, yeah. So the, the mental pleasure, it's, some, it's, in, it's helpful to be able to recognize that as a, as a, as a phenomenon as well, that there's, there's mental pleasant experience as well. In the um, 
in the arhant, I, I know that bodily pain and bodily pleasure still happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about mental pleasure and mental pain. I know mental pain no longer happens. So for the arhant, there's a place in the suttas where it defines the full enlightenment as being the no mental pain or grief. So the absence of that dominasa. Whether it also means the absence of samanasa, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but definitely the balance of mind. Um, but, the, but the bodily unpleasant, pleasant experiences continue. But the mental unpleasant experiences are said to end. That sounds good to me. <laughs> Confused, and then about your. I thought all um, pleasurable experiences of the body were experienced through the mind. Well, they are. They are experienced through um, consciousness. There's sense consciousness. There's body consciousness. So there's always a mental component there. Um, But like you know, if you cut yourself with a knife, there's going to be bodily pain. The, the person who's fully enlightened will experience that bodily pain. It's not that they experience that as, as but, not... But it isn't the leg that's experiencing it. It's, it's, the, it's mind. the mind, right. But, but it's, it's talked about as being that that, the, that that bodily... The pain that is independence on the body, which is what we could call it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is also independence on the body, the, the, the body consciousness. But that um, pleasure and pain of body does not uh, go away for an arhant. However, most of what we call pain when we cut ourselves with a knife is dominasa, is mental unpleasant experience. So there's a, a tight coupling between them. We experience bodily pleasure, almost always there's the mental pleasure. We experience bodily pain, almost always there's the mental pain. And they feed back into each other. And so and I've been in states of meditation where the body is experiencing the unpleasantness of pain, of, the, of what we could call pain. And it's just experienced as very strong sensation. It's clear that the experience is unpleasant, but the mind is completely non-reactive to it. So the, the, the body, you know, the physical body is designed to produce pain to keep us alive, essentially. And that doesn't change. That, but the reactivity to it is what's said to go away. And, and my question wasn't in relation to the arhat. Uh, I hardly even know what an arhat is. That's someone who's really it's full arhat, enlightenment. Right? Yeah, okay. full enlightenment. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, for us, for us, you know, for um, um, the the interesting place is to look at. Um, there's the body. There's the the pain in the body. Beginning to distinguish. What is experience in the body and what is experience in the mind? Mm-hmm. Kind of beginning to, to, to look at that distinction. And actually, I'll probably talk about that more in a couple days to really begin to explore that because that's a very fruitful area of exploration as we begin to tease apart body and mind. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so tightly intertwined. Um, so I'll talk about that more in a, in a few days.
I was, uh, well, this is a very minor thing, and then I have something, a couple of other things. I was wondering if the word like being English, an English word might be uh, not quite appropriate for whatever the equivalent word used to be. In other words, when you're using a different language, it could have different... Well, that's why I used the word appreciation. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That, that there can be an appreciation for things that doesn't have that craving. Mm -hmm. but so for me, the word liking does, does slide into that just because of the overtones it has in the English language. But there is, I think, a, a mental capacity for um, appreciation, uh, some wholesome qualities of mind that go into experience that, that don't have craving in them. You know, I don't think like <clears throat> implies action. Well, so I think like implies a feeling, mm -hmm. which does not mean that now I'm going to uh, act, act. Uh -huh. yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to say is that um, on uh, her uh, feeling of, I think that when we talk, when what bothered me about this past discussion was that um, I feel that it was to, it was separating the, these elements rather than looking at the whole. To me, the whole is um, I see a flower, and she was talking about uh, picking them and, and so forth, or the whole idea of pleasure uh, is simply looking. Sorry, that's a bug. There's a bug here too. <laughs> the whole idea of pleasure is simply looking ahead at um, at uh, <laughs> I had this already and I don't have it very well. Looking ahead at what action might happen afterward, which might be the pursuit of that object, and then noticing not having it. And so that is kind of the the whole that kind of whole picture is um, if we if we didn't have to and you can contradict me if we didn't have to experience the pain that pleasure brings when we don't have it it would be okay <laughs> you know that's what I'm trying to say pleasure in itself there's absolutely no nothing wrong with it you know it is simply natural it is it's exactly feeling. it's a feeling we and it feel happens it. it's right. simply a feeling that's right and so there's no point in thinking oh this is wrong or you know a bad thing to be. exactly that is very christian or it's very um a puritan it's very puritan <coughs> there's something wrong with pleasure so this discussion to me can get a little bit into oh i shouldn't feel good you know what i mean and so that is uh, not what, what it's about. Well, that's what I was What's trying to say. <laughs> I hope I well, can do that. Well, I was that. thinking of watching before you, I guess I was thinking before you said it, that it's, um, that it's like everything else. Then I think you used to say uh, when something uh, is, uh, it, when you observe something, you let it go. You know, it, I, mean, I wanted you to talk a little more about that. It was like, don't hang on. It's kind of like, go, you know, have an observation, have a feeling, and so forth, and let it 
come to fruition and leave. Mm -hmm. It will leave mm -hmm. if you allow it. Yes. That's the whole thing. It's nothing bad with it. I'm That's finding. right. Yes. Yes. With any of these things, even this anger purging, I exactly is um, so we are not saying that's a bad. I shouldn't be feeling good. You know. That's right. I shouldn't be. You know, all that junk. Even Tejanie in his book said, "I remember there's no one here." That, that thinks that there isn't a body. I thought that was the most, there's no one here who thinks there isn't a body, you know, when someone was saying, or isn't a self, excuse me. And I, I, that's one of my favorite sentences in the whole book. There's no one here that's, that thinks there isn't a self. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, there it is, there's an idea, you know, of course. So you don't, you don't get all these prohibitions. You that's know? right. Oh, I mustn't think there's a self, I mustn't have pleasure, you know. Which we do because we're um, from a puritanical background as Americans, as Westerners. We don't understand how the Easterners feel necessarily, especially with the language, dif language difference. I would say it's actually pretty human. <laughs> yeah, natural. To, to, yeah, to... Uh, to have an experience of pleasure and then want to hold on to it. <laughs> um, so yes, what you're saying, there is no, there's no experience. I mean, it's all nature. It's all. But I'm, I'm finding in myself, I don't want to hang on to it. This is what Great. I'm finding. Great. <laughs> because it's much more, to me, much more pleasurable to have the pleasure and not hang on. To hang on, it's not pleasurable. Well, the Buddha called so this the, the, the greatest kind of happiness. Well, the, the right. pleasure that of not is. clinging. That's why yeah. I'm in this. Yeah, yeah. You're there, Marilyn. What? You're there, Marilyn. <laughs> well, when I went on a walk yesterday. I, ha I have to stop you here because... It was, an, it was a, a lesson in, and everyone, you know, every bit of it, pleasure, oh, here's another uh -huh. one. Yeah. And yeah. another one, another one, and you feel... Really good when it's over. You're not hanging on it. You're not dragging anything behind you, or yeah. you know, or I have to have it, or nothing. And, and that that state that you're in is has right view in it. So the mind, the observing mind, is not holding on. And when the observing mind's not holding on, it doesn't matter what's coming up. It can be anger that's coming up. Mm -hmm. We can see the anger coming up. It's like, oh, there's. There's a f another phenomenon. It's just like a flower or a deer walking across. Oh, look at that anger. Wow. It's, yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> Thank you. I used to be so unhappy. But, you know, when I thought that I needed to have some record or some this or some that, you know, just because I liked it. No way. <laughs> Something else is going to come along. <laughs> so Tanya first and then... Over here. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in sort of the uh, karmic impact of not, um, in a simple, like a simple example would be, so you notice you're eating, right? And you notice it's not just pleasant, it's like greed's here, right? You're wanting to eat it fast or whatever. And, and you notice it, and so because you feel the greed, you stop, like you just pause. And um, so there's a way in which you could say that's pushing it away. You know, or you know. Well, it depends on what's in the mind mm -hmm, at that right. moment. So, but but say, let's say that you sort of take a break from it for a moment, right? What if it? What happens to it? To because there's this whole notion that 
if things start to arise and you don't sort of allow them to come into full consciousness or fruition, what ha where do they go? What happens to them? <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Um, maybe you could ask your question in a slightly different way and I could um, offer some thoughts. Um, um. It's okay. I'll, I'll, I appreciate the no answer. <laughs> <laughs> one, thing about, one thing I'll say about karma that was coming to me as you were speaking um, is that the Buddha said, if we try to contemplate either all of the causes that have come together to create this moment or all of the unfolding ramifications of the choices in this moment will go mad. So don't even go there. <laughs> Just know what you're experiencing now. Is it, and to the best of your ability, know whether there is greed or aversion or delusion present. There is going to be, if there's greed present, and you're acting on it, there will be a stronger karmic consequence, probably. My understanding, there's a stronger karmic consequence once things are actually acted on. There's a subtler karmic consequence of the fact that it has arisen in the mind and maybe a thought has followed from it. Um, whether or not we see those... Oh, and the, oh, the other thing, somebody, somebody, somebody in one retreat, and I loved this answer, you know, it's like, was asking Michelle McDonald about this kind of thing, of like, well, you know, so, so what happens, you know, if, if greed is arising in my mind, and I, even if I don't act on it, if I have a thought, then, you know, isn't there unwholesome karma being generated by that? And it's like, well, yeah, but, oh well. <laughs> you know, what do we do about it? You know, we, we go on from there. We notice what's happened. We notice the consequences. Um, it's, it's turning a battleship that we're doing here, you know? It's not, um, it's not going to be perfect the first time. <laughs> it's, it's a really slow process. And, uh, yeah, karma... I think really just looking at what's here, what's now, to the best of our ability, being able to know whether there's greed present in the mind, aversion present in the mind, to our best of our ability, not acting on it, if conditions are such that we have no choice but to act on it, that's what's happening. And we get to observe what unfolds from there. Sometimes one thing I say is, get really good at cleaning up the mess. <laughs> to which I already know the answer, which will be, keep looking at it. <laughs> I'm hoping also, yes, it's okay. <laughs> um, so I took a piece of advice you gave me to um, take a break and read. Not, not take a break and read, but take a break from the, the walking position. And what I read was that, uh, and it's right at the beginning, and Dhamma everywhere, but that if, if we are mind, if we're looking at something, if we're paying attention to an object with a mind that is 
you know, in greed, hatred, or delusion. Let's let's say aversion because that's the one that's up for me. Then I can't remember exactly if he says that's not meditation or that's not use. It's not. It's kind of like it's kind of not helping. And some was how I interpreted what what was written. Now, what what I so there's this. Um, sort of system of thought, feeling, and bodily sensation that arises for me quite frequently that, that you and I have talked about many times, um, which to which I have, towards which I feel aversion. Part of it is aversion. So what I was noticing, I did some walking after reading this, and what I was noticing was it's not always obvious to me whether I am looking at this aversive and very negative mind state or looking through it mm-hmm. at sometimes itself or other things, whatever. And I'm very clear on the danger of mistaking the one for the other because for me I can go down a really deep dark hole when I start looking at everything through that, that lens. Okay. I almost, I mean, I mean, I have a rule that there are things I won't sit with, as you know. And I, there's a, I, the thought arose, I should leave the retreat sometimes. You know, I should, like, meditation is not always good for me. Um, and I don't, that's not, that's not the conclusion I want to reach at this stage. I've, I'm, I'm actually, I've, I've, gotten some interest in this thing. I'm actually interested in pursuing it. But I just need a little help with with walking that line between I'm looking at it with a mind that has some interest and spaciousness, and I'm looking at everything through it with a mind that is just getting tighter and tighter and causing itself more harm. So, um, I think you do know when the mind is getting tighter and tighter. It may take you a few moments to recognize that, but I think you know kind of the feedback. I mean, like, you know, you know oh, just don't go there. Um, now, it may be that, you're, that you're, you're coming to a place where it's a little bit more fine-grained or something. And, um, like it's sooner. Sooner that you're noticing that it, it might be the wrong one to go down. But, but like not go there. So if it feels like you're noticing that sooner, it may just be that you're getting a finer distinction of discernment there. You know, that you're, you're actually noticing a little more clearly, oh, you know, that, that level, it's not so helpful to keep looking at this. And when Sayadaw says, um, you know, um, when there's greed in the observing mind or aversion in the observing mind, I, I don't remember exactly how he puts it, but um, it's not helpful or it's not meditation, something like that. Um, you know, I think what he's, he's pointing to is that when there's aversion present in the observing mind, we are cultivating aversion, and it is feeding those patterns. And we know, I mean, we, we get to watch ourselves kind of cycle into it, um, and we learn, actually. Part of it is like trial and error, essentially. And for you... 
um, I think you need to err on the side of don't go there um, because of because of your history you know just just err on on the side of don't go there um, you could you could you know using your training you could try touching into it and then coming back and then see you know using that kind of same SE training to touch into it um, you know what is it what does it feel like to observe from this state and then come back and then go in a little bit and then come back and then see is it actually leading me down the the garden path of <laughs> the vortex of not being able to come out or you know um, or is it actually that I can be with this for just little bits at a time? Yeah, I, I think the struggle for me, not struggle, the challenge that I was facing today is once the mind has started to go a few steps into, now I'm seeing everything through this aversive, aversive negativity, I don't want to stop meditating. I want to keep meditating. Okay, so, so what I'd suggest there is what Sayadaw suggests is Turn to something neutral. So be more focused, maybe, on yeah. something else. Yeah, turn, so, directing your attention. So okay at that point to then be more yes. focused. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Turn your attention, and that's partly why I suggested the reading. You know, it's like just put your, take your attention out of that and put it in, in something where the reading has more, um, you know, it's bringing right view in. Or you could just turn your attention to seeing or hearing or just something, something kind of more neutral in your experience. Yes, choose to direct the attention. Um, was there someone over here? No? Okay. Um, on page 37 of um, the Dhamma book, um, it says, The mind doesn't wander. The right way to view the mind is that thoughts are just arising of their own nature. Mm-hmm. Um, the mind just arises, arises, arises. Only through realizing this will you begin to understand the nature of impermanence. So could you, could you like say more about that? So my understanding of what that says, this is all I can speak to. <laughs> um, he says, the mind doesn't wander. And this, this I understand what he's talking about, I believe. Um, you know, the word wander makes it sound like the mind goes somewhere. And what's happening when we say that the mind wanders is that, I mean, so there's, there's the arising of experience moment after moment, right? There's the, the five aggregates, the body, the mind, the, the, the feeling, the perception, the consciousness, the mental formations, the intentions, the attentions, all of that. That's all arising moment by moment. Um, and that's just, it's like this, this, um, all there is, there, there's no past and there's no future. All there is is this endlessly mutating now. Um, and that we put perceptions of past and future onto. So all there is in the moment is arising, 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 arising of mind and body. Um, Sometimes that arising of mind and body includes mindfulness. Sometimes that arising of mind and body doesn't include mindfulness. When that arising of mind and body doesn't include mindfulness, we say the mind has wandered. But the mind hasn't gone anywhere. It's just mindfulness hasn't arisen with everything else. Um, so 
it's um, the last part of you know understanding. I mean, basically the 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 understanding of um, basically experience being this ever mutating set us conditions that that's all there ever is. There is no past. There is no future. There is. It is. It does not exist. What we call past is an arising in this mutation where there's a memory <laughs> arising with this mutation. There's, there's, not, there's not a past there. It's, um, so the, 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 the recognition of that does really take you into the, the flow of impermanence. The, um, it's, a, it's an insight to, to kind of see that this is just this mutating... Um, mutating experience. That's all that's happening is a mutating experience. Is that... Is there a part of that that still you'd like me to say a little more about? Well, it's just, you know, when the thought comes or the sensation or the perception, then the mind... I mean, I mean it's like then the light, this light goes on. <laughs> and that's the mind arising? Um, well, the, there's the, the mind, the mind arises all the time. I mean, the, whether we're mindful or not, mind is arising. Yeah. Um, people who've never meditated in their lives, the mind is arising. The yeah. mind and body are arising mm-hmm. for them. Um, but their perception of what's happening is that there's um, a past, a future, um, that, the, that there's a here and a there, uh, as opposed to it being this um, um, eternal now. Eternal bubbling, now, that's, that's bubbling, bubbling. bubbling, yeah, eternal now, bubbling, yeah, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when mindfulness arises in the midst of that process and is continuous, it can it can it can kind of see this bubbling this eternal now that's when that insight can come it's not an insight we can make happen right um, now we can use i mean like the view or the 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 wisdom if you've had that kind of experience of eternal now you know you could use that kind of wisdom to help you relate to your experience in a balanced way that's like it's not exactly borrowing the wisdom because it may have been yours at one point I think I said this the other day that um, you, know, you, can, you can have these experiences of the eternal now or whatever, and then you know it's like, wow, this is so obvious. You know, how can I not see this? It is so clear. And then a minute later, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it, I, it wasn't so obvious because I sure don't see it now. <laughs> so we're not always. In that perspective, insights are impermanent. They have a set of causes and conditions that come together to allow us to be able to to see it directly from that insight. And when we're not operating from that insight, having had them, it's as though we can bring that knowledge into our present moment. And it can help us to balance our perspective a little bit.
I'm not sure how to make this into a question, so I'll ramble. Um, so I know that I strive too much, or I, I don't, that there's striving happening. And so... Let me ask you a question first. Do you know what it feels like when striving is happening? Yes. Okay. Some of the, some of the times. Not all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I'm wondering whether the, I'm uh, working too hard when I'm trying to keep looking at the relationship between, uh, you know, the hindrances or um, what's happening in my awareness. My, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm not sure if I'm dropping things in too frequently or um, just working with that is often very subtle and it feels like a lot of time what I'm doing is I'm thinking about it retrospective rather than in the moment because the moment's like that. Thinking about it being the effort or? When I'm reflecting, when I'm trying to um, uh, understand, I mean, whatever the experience is like that. So then looking back at it, it's always looking back. Yeah, I would, I would let go of, of conscious looking back. If it happens kind of automatically, just notice that that retrospective looking is happening as a process. Well, investigation is, I mean, the way, it has to happen from something that's behind me. Um, again, I think I said this the other day, that, that, that from the perspective of the Abhidhamma, that is what they say has to happen, moment by moment. Mm -hmm. But the the momentary nature of what they're saying that about is so tiny that it, it would be it would be um, um, it would let's see what can I say um, so invest, the investigations don't last long it's like and then move on yeah, I mean, the, the, um, it depends on what's happening. I mean, mostly what, what's happening, what our, our conscious um, experience is, is that there's many, many things happening at the same time. And Sayadaw talks about this, you know, that when the awareness gets stronger, you can notice many things happening simultaneously. Now, from the Abhidhamma perspective, things are not happening simultaneously. They're happening you know, one after another. But that's not the experience. So we're talking experience here. You know, the experience is that we can be investigating what's happening now. It's not that we're investigating and, and kind of looking back and saying, what just happened? It feels like we're actually meeting and being with now. Okay, so it's a, a meeting. It's a meeting, yeah. And it's a, it's a, and then, it's and a visceral let, feeling. And let it go. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's like... Saito Upandita gives this analogy um, about, this is a big bell to <laughs> show this with, um, that investigation is like polishing a bowl with a cloth. It's the staying in contact with. So if something's happening, if there's an emotion happening, or, or something that feels like it's got a bit of... Um, time to it, you know, that, that it's, 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 it's arising frequently, it's coming up moment after moment, so it feels like there's a time duration to it. 
then we just stay in contact with it. And, and he uses this analogy of rubbing with a cloth. And I like that because it's a visceral <coughs> thing. It's a, it's a meeting. It's a contact. And it's a gentle contact. It's not like trying to, to pry this thing apart and say, well, how is it made? And let me pull it apart. It's, it's, it's gentler. It's, it's well, more... Some, some things are very obvious. Like, like I'm, I'm a gardener and I'm walking around seeing these beautiful rocks. And I can feel greed arise. So that's real easy. Uh-huh. Just go up, oh, greed, uh-huh. and uh-huh. then I can just let that go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But some things seem more complex. Yes. And so then my mind starts kind of chewing on them. And that chewing, I uh, I would see if it could be more of a feeling into. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll just keep and explore the investigation from a nonverbal perspective. Somebody, one of my friends, at one point talked about it's like I'm a blind person going around in a room, you know. There's a, there's a place up at the Exploratorium, some of you might have been in, it's called the Tactile Dome. Um, that kind of sense of finding your way by, by touching, you know, as opposed to our, you know, usual mode of seeing and conceptualizing. Um, it's, it's more that kind of, of thing. So play with, play with it a little bit. If you find there's a lot of words involved in investigation, See if you can uh, let go of that kind of investigation. Um, Could you talk a little bit more about, um, there's mindfulness and then mindfulness of mindfulness, right? And so, uh, like you said the other day when I said I was really sleepy, that I was mindful, where, so I was aware I was sleepy. I can be walking down the road and be aware of breathing, sensations on my feet, sounds, all of this stuff at the same time. And then it'll be like, am I mindful of being mindful? Uh-huh. <laughs> and sometimes I can start singing this little, am I mindful of being mindful song? But you know what? You know what, where is this line? What are we going for here? I mean, I'm assuming that mindfulness of Mindfulness is to check sort of what view, what, what, what sort of we're experiencing our mindfulness through. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the, um, I think I'll do a short answer here because my whole talk tomorrow is on this topic. <laughs> um, um, the, one t- sometimes Saito Utejaniya says something like, if you know that you're aware, that's enough. That's, that's got the quality of mindfulness of mindfulness to it. Don't go trying to figure out what awareness of awareness is. Another thing um, that he's pointed to, um, at times after you begin to get a flavor of what it means to be aware of awareness, it's like you can do it. You, know, you, can, you can put yourself into that space. And you know, the, there's the, the, the awareness and the object. You know, they, they come together. And it's kind of like the uh, what is known or what is understood can be more on the object side the qualities of the object so you know what is known about the experience itself you know so there's pressure vibration tingling pulsing anger um heat um so all of that that that's the kind of landing more in the side of of the object um, and we can also then kind of land more on the side of 
knowing that we are aware of heat or pressure. It's, it's not so much, I mean, so whatever is happening, um, when we are aware of awareness, it's like we're aware that awareness is operating to know something. And to not, not, um, not get too uh, caught up in what it is. And another piece that Sayadaw said to me at one point when I told him I was trying to put myself in awareness of awareness, he said, don't try to do that. He said, your mind will sometimes naturally be observing the object. At other times it will kind of naturally be recognizing that awareness is present. Just notice which it's doing. And don't try to get too... I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. We're cultivating the awareness faculty. The, um, and you're right about the, you know, part of the point of being aware of awareness is to see if there's any distortion in the, in the, um, in the mind so that we can um, uh, allow that to become part, that, to that become an object then, mm-hmm. so that it's not filtering <coughs> our, our view. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll talk more about this tomorrow. Um, let's see, 10 minutes. First, let me check in and see if anybody who has not asked a question would like to ask a question. I'd like a little more of a confirm. Something you said to Len seemed relevant to something I'm not quite getting. Um, if it's just like, you, like I see greed, or I see... Just and it's no big deal. Just you see it and it's gone. Boom. You see it and it's gone. Okay. Uh huh. That's okay. However, but if there's more of a linger to it, like oh, fear, or something that I decide I want to get into, then you'd spend more time with it. Yeah, I mean, if, it, just, yeah, I mean, if 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 um if it's just you know you're walking down the the path and there's a you know a lovely flower and it's like oh I want to take that home or yeah. you know and then you know and then you notice that and you walk past it and you notice the greed gone you know the flowers no longer in your field of view and it, I mean there's no point in holding on to yeah. the greed in order to observe it yeah okay if if the greed or fear or whatever is kind of already lingering yeah. then just being with that yeah yeah light touch thing yeah okay mm-hmm. anyone else who hasn't asked a question yet Joan I have to say, uh, yesterday when Sayadaw uh, talked about uh, when developing mindfulness and when it's sort of training the mind and when it's early days of looking at emotions that are very, very strong, you know, that you're only able to catch it when it's quite far down the, the way. Yes. And that, you know, that can not necessarily be helpful all the time. Um, well, it's what it is. It is what it is. It is and, what it is. And, and whenever and, mindfulness arises, it's helpful. Well, and I have <laughs> to say that when I look at my early days, it was way more painful, but it was also really helpful. Yes. That it, there, it seems that uh, that's sort of like the pain and the, the trauma has dissipated, which is quite you know wonderful. Uh, but I think about, you know, like, some of the, the I'm going to say it, rage, and, and look, looking at it, and then it was, it's like I've never experienced that again. It was 
So, so um, is there a question in what you said? Um, or? Uh, I, I guess it was actually just more of a comment. One thing that I'll, I'll say, because um, something you said I felt um, was really so true, that you know, when we are, when, when we do go down the garden path, you know, the mind just goes off on its own thing and we wake up into rage or depression or anger or whatever, and then mindfulness comes into the into play and what we're hanging out with is rage or depression or whatever um, and you said and the thing you said was it was really really helpful my understanding of why that's so helpful is because what the mind is learning at that stage is that that state is dukkha <laughs> you know it is understanding you know, it's gone down this path, and it wakes up, and it, it's in dukkha. You know, it, 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 it begins to understand through being aware of it that this state is not one that this system, this body-mind system wants to be in. You know, this is kind of my understanding of how the practice even works. And it's like we're built this way, right? I mean, when we become aware of what, what the experience of rage is like, we understand very deeply that this is not something that's wholesome for this body-mind. You know, it, what, what we had done in the past was be in that rage and be so focused outward that we, weren't, we were in delusion about how it was for this body and mind to be in that state. So with mindfulness, we un uncover just a little bit of delusion. It's like, oh yeah, this is suffering, you know? <laughs> so in my early days, Anger was the thing that was really up for me, and that was an early insight for me. It's like I saw that there was this belief that the anger was going to do something to that other person, you know. So that was that was the delusion, you know. That was, and you know, the the person was seven thousand miles away. You know, this anger wasn't going to touch them, but it was eating me up. And the the mind and body truly began to understand this is suffering. You know, that this is dukkha. And then the more the mind understood over time, the more the mind explored the anger, the more experience it got with it. Um, when it got to the place of being able to recognize the intention to go down the path to anger, the mind knew really well that way lies non-well-being. <laughs> and just let it go. So that is, it is part of the learning. You know, we, Joseph says sometimes, and, and um, it's so true, you know, he says we want, we think we want, what we think we want is insight into dukkha without experiencing the dukkha. <laughs> and we, we, we have to really grok, viscerally understand the dukkha. And so we wake up where we are. And what, wherever we wake up, then mindfulness is not wasted. It is either learning about, you know, this is, this, is, this is wise view. You know, the Buddha says that wise view is understanding. This is suffering. This is the cause of suffering. This is the ending of suffering. This is the path leading to the ending of suffering. And wherever we wake up, we can see our experience through that framework. If we're a mile down that path, well, this is dukkha. That's what we're seeing. If we're seeing ourselves headed there, oh, this is the cause. We wake up into that.
if we see the mind letting go, that's what we're noticing. So we can, this is, this is um, you know, I, I think of the Four Noble Truths as being a, a, pers- a set of perspectives, wholesome perspectives that we can see our experience through. The Buddha put it up in, in one of the suttas, he put it up in kind of contradistinction to the perspective we usually use to evaluate our experience, the perspective of self. That's how we usually evaluate and assess experiences. How does it relate to me? What does it have to do with me? And um, the Buddha says, it's, it's better approach is, is this suffering? Is this the cause of suffering? Is this the ending of suffering? Is this the path leading to the ending of suffering? And as I understand it, pretty much, well, anything that we can experience can be seen through one of those perspectives. Let's see, we have time for another one. We have two minutes. Do you have a two-minute question? Well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) This is all so confused. Um, So if our mind is, um, if we're mindful, are we supposed to have another mind that is mindful that we're mindful? I'm just getting very confused. See, now that's that's not the way I see it. No, well, I want to be, I'm... Worried because I'm I'm feeling I'm supposed to be watching my mind to see if it's mindful, and you know I've somehow that's it's it's more it's more it. integrated in my experience. Mm-hmm. You know it's there's the aware it's 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 that there they are just two sides of a coin. You know there's the thing known and the knowing, and the mindfulness kind of infuses the whole thing. So yeah, I mean, it is so, the, the 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 stepping back. There can sometimes be a stepping back. I think we talked about that early on, the sense of looking at. Um, but then you know that it, it can be um, we can end up in a kind of an infinite regress kind right, of state. Right, that's and, what I think. And I'm mixed it, up about. it it if you start going there, just. Yeah, let it go. Don't I, don't I, go down some, that path. Some mindfulness is seeing what the other mindfulness is doing, and it's just dumb. Yeah. I mean, so it's so hard. so yeah. If you if your mind starts going there, just mm-hmm. say confusion. So <laughs> when you ask the question, "Am I mindful?" and you um, and uh, <laughs> there only is only yes or no. But when you say, "Am I mindful?" You are mindful. That's right. That's the trouble. That's I can't, right. I just and and the, and and it's it's only meant that question is only meant because if you can even ask the question, you're already aware. Yeah. And so there's nothing more to but be aware to of do. than what's obvious there. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, let's well. let's um, stop.